So I met Pastor Sean um, last year sometime at the ARC conference. Um, the conference is this new network that we're a part of, that their whole goal is to launch and grow life-giving churches. And there are a bunch of guys that are just related in their thinking and their heart and their love for Jesus and the lost, just like we are. And it's a bunch of churches that get together, share ideas, resource each other, make connections. And I met uh, Pastor Sean, and he has just started a church in Pearl Ridge Center. 9.30 a.m. at the theater over there. Brand new church. It's only one month old called Mana Church. And I met him and his wife, Sarah, and I've been to several functions with them. And here's what I believe about um, just life in general. is that I heard this somewhere in Bible college is that direction flows through relationships. And oftentimes the, the places that God is leading you happen because of the people that you know and the people he puts in your life. I believe that the Bible is clear that everything happens through relationships because God is all about relationships. And this is a relationship that came along in a friendship that's starting and that we believe in him, we believe in his church and his ministry. And I said, you need to come and share at our church and we want to be a blessing to you as well. And so I'm really excited to introduce you to, uh, he was an ex-UH Manoa football player, warrior, so you guys are hyped on that. But he's also from the same school as me, re-graduated, uh, Collahale High School. He's class of 98. I'm class of older than that, class of 89. So it's like, wow, he's young. But anyways, would you guys kindly, Anchor Church, would you please stand to your feet and would you welcome Pastor Sean with you, Alan? Come on, give it up, give it up. Aloha, Anchor Church family. I got to tell you, it is a honor to be on this stage, honor to share with you guys this weekend. Um, we planted our church four weeks ago. I'll share more about that later, but we sent a lot of spies to a lot of churches before we started. And one of the must visits was Anchor Church because I truly have realized that you guys are one of the most life-giving churches on this island, in this state, in this region. And so my hat goes off to you. If I had one, I'd take it off. So give yourselves a hand for that. Uh, you guys are inspiring so many others besides just yourself. Uh, we're excited. I want to introduce you to my family. And so I've got a photo of them, I hope. Yep, there we go. So let me get out of the way here. This is my wife, Sarah. I got three boys, Azariah, Makoa, and Isaac. Our prayer is that they get my size and her looks. Amen. I know what some of you guys are saying. How does he end up with her? Well, single fellows, let me give you a little piece of information, okay? When you meet a girl who is way out of your league, do whatever you can to convince her somehow, some way, that you are the best that she can do. And then jump all over it, all right? Don't waste any time, okay? Because she may figure that out, but then put a ring on it and you're good to go. Uh, no, they are a huge blessing to me. Uh, we are thrilled to be here. Um, you can take that off the screen now because nobody wants to pay attention to me when that beautiful woman's on the screen and those cute kids. So we planted Mana Church four weeks ago over at Pearl Ridge Center. And what's crazy is that we have already seen over 40 people commit their lives to Jesus Christ. Uh, through this wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And um, I obviously can't have all of you guys go there, so we put a little video together. Please take a glimpse, a little glimpse into Mana Church, what's happening. You guys got friends in Aea, Pro Ridge area. Please let them know there's something happening on Sunday mornings there. Turn your eyes to the screens.
All right. You got a little taste of who we are now. I don't think you realize that you have actually played a pretty significant role in what's going on. As Pastor Carl mentioned, I've been gotten to know him and Pastor Rob and some of the others over the past year or so, and you guys have shared resources, shared wisdom, shared your copy machine. Um, there have been a lot of things that Anchor Church has already helped play a role in. So you guys, as you invest in your local church, you're actually investing in things like that. And Lord willing, as we continue to partner together, more and more church plants in our islands and in our region. Amen. Amen. And so it's been awesome to do this. Not everyone has been incredibly excited about what we're doing and the fact that we moved back. See, I grew up here, went to Kalaheo, played football at UH, and then professional football actually took me all the way to the East Coast to a town called Fayetteville, North Carolina. I was, oh, we got some Fayetteville in the house, okay. I had never heard of it, all right? So I was playing for a team in Seattle and basically got traded, and my GM calls me in and he says, hey, there's this team in Fayetteville that really wants you. We're gonna send you there. I said, where's Fayetteville? He said, I have no idea. But they keep calling, and I'm thinking, Lord, please don't send me to Arkansas, okay? I grew up, I'm a beach boy, I need the coast. If you're from Arkansas, no disrespect, I've never been there. I just, you know, it's the middle of the, the continent, and, you know, I just, I need, I need an ocean, I need a body of water. And so I got a plane ticket the next morning to Raleigh, end up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, been there, um, and had, a, you know, built my family there, played football for quite a while, was a, was a football player and full-time pastor for, uh, I don't even know how many years, because I traveled to Europe, did some stuff with the NFL, and so, like, I don't know how many years I played football, but I know I've been in ministry for over 10, so it was somewhere along there. And we really felt the call, and I'll, I'll share a little bit more as we go through this, but not everyone was excited. They said, man, why would you leave a place where you, you, you know, you're so rooted, and you're going to come plant a church in one of the most expensive places in the country. What about your young family? What about, and these were kind of non-believers. See, I didn't come out of a Christian home. Uh, both my parents had bad experiences with organized religion growing up, and so out of love for my siblings and I, they kept us as far from church as possible. In fact, the very first time I set foot in church was as a senior in high school, not because I was interested in Jesus, but I was interested in the girl on the drums. You know what I'm saying? And so, so <laughs> I can come to church for you, okay. And, and that was the only reason I went to church. And it wasn't until I got to UH and a campus ministry, thank God for campus ministries, came through and really impacted my life and, and, and transformed me. And as that began to happen, my decision-making processes began to be very different than those who were closest to me. You guys follow? And so when I said, hey, we're coming back, we're moving back, they said, well, is this wise? You've got a young family, you've got this, how are you gonna make enough money? All these different questions. They're always wondering why I'm not so worried about it. I said, look, that's not my responsibility. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried if it's going to succeed. I'm, I'm excited about when it succeeds. And I shared with the men last month right here that we talked about, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, you've been purchased with a price. Your life is not your own. You see, my concern is not my future. My future belongs to the one who purchased me. My, my concern and my responsibility is to stay as close to him as possible and follow him, amen? That's my responsibility. And so it's not about if this is gonna succeed because it wasn't our idea in the first place. Five years ago, my mentor, uh, Pastor Norman Nakanishi from Grace Bible Pearlside has kind of been a spiritual father of mine for about 15 years now. And he always jokes because I told him, I'm never gonna plant a church. Because that was one of the things on the table years ago, I said, ah, it's just not me, I'm not, a, I'm not a church planner. And he loves to bring that up now, of course, because here I am planting a church. And the reason why, I just didn't feel like it was the thing, but we were enjoying life in North Carolina, owned a really nice home, 
big yard, not one but two tree houses, a zip line, okay? I had a zip line in my backyard, and we didn't live in the sticks. We lived right in the middle of the city. We sold that house, made a bunch of money, and can't even afford a carport here, but <laughs> we're working on it, amen? But I just... I enjoyed life. I was, we, we were doing great. We were part of a great church there. I was a pastor of student ministries, and we built this, this awesome ministry. Church was growing. We launched the Fayetteville Dream Center. We've, we've had a lot of fun partnering with the Islands of Hope Dream Center and Aloha Dream Center here with you guys, and we're part of the same Dream Center network as well. And so just a lot of great things happening, using that platform of football to really make an impact in the community, which was always my heart. And then God started to stir my heart more and more for home, you know, because this was always home. That never really felt like home. That was more of like, this is where I am for now. And I just, I'll never forget it. It was just over a year ago. My senior pastor, our church was about nine or 10,000 members. And so every single year, we're right there by Fort Bragg, the huge army base special operations. And so every single year, we would lose 1,000 to 1,500 people just from military transfer alone. And so he gathered the, the pastors and our wives, and he, he's un, out, outlining the vision for the next 10 years. And he says, hey, guys, you know, really feel like the vision for the next 10 years isn't so much right here in Fayetteville, but it's a church planting movement. We want to plant churches near every military installation, first in the country and then around the world, so that when our people leave, they don't have to keep calling us saying, is there a church like us there? They can just leave and go straight to us. Does that make sense? And so I was the smart guy, and I joked and I said, well, Oahu's got every military installation there is on one island. And he not so much joked, you should go. And I said, darn, why did I, sit? why did I speak up? And my wife picked up on that. And we said, okay, we'll pray about it. And we thought maybe three years down the road, we can really work to, to, to be prepared. And wouldn't you know it, three days later, a prophet comes through. And as he's sharing with our staff, he calls me up to the front. Hey, Sean, I think I got a word for you. Okay, I got it. This is great. He literally prophesized me out of the church. And he says, you're, you've been blessed here, but you're going to plant. You're going to plant soon, 12 to 14 months. I mean, all these things he just sweeps through. And we realized, wow, we're going to be disobedient to God if we don't do this. There's no way we can still follow Jesus and not say yes to this. You guys follow? You've been in that situation before? And so that's why we're not so concerned about, you know, are we anxious that this is going to succeed? Are we anxious? I know whose I am. Amen. I know who my provider is. I'm not super concerned. Now, if you don't share that faith, it does seem crazy, right? Because they're thinking, man, that's, that's, that makes no sense at all. But when you share this faith, you realize that we're following a God who can do anything and everything. And so since he has called, he guarantees that he's got us in his hand. Now, that doesn't make it easy. This has been the hardest year of our life. Um, this is not an easy thing to do. Just because God says to go do it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, right? Yeah. Jesus promises some, some obstacles, some barriers, some difficulties. But the beautiful thing is he promises to be right there with us in the process. And his grace has fueled us up to this point, And his grace will continue to fuel us. And that's why I just look when Jesus said, those who want to gain life must lose life. I mean, this is what it's all about. This is what the, the, the Christian life is about. How can I lose my life to gain the life that Christ has for me? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to live the life I want. I don't want to live the life I can think up for myself. I want to live the life that the God of all creation, the author of everything that he has for me. I want the life he has, not the life I want. And so I know a lot of you guys 
coming off of this huge fast, which again, I said, I've been spying it out. So I get all the emails. I've been right here with you guys. I'm not fasting with you because we're in the middle of a church plant. Um, But I get all the emails. I've got the little booklet. You guys are doing a great job. I know that God has probably spoken some great promises to you individually, to your family, to this local church. And so my heart this weekend with you guys is to really just nail down a really a two-part big truth to help see those things really come to pass in your life. And it's, it's just this. Everything about God rests upon his faithfulness. And everything about you and I rests upon whether we trust him to be faithful and true. If I surveyed the room right now and said, hey, what's the biggest cause of anxiety in your life? What's the biggest fear you have? I guarantee you it would be something having to do with the future. It'd be something having to do with maybe your family, maybe your career, maybe your school. It'd be something having to do with the future. Maybe it's child-related, maybe it's future spouse-related, but it's something having to do with the future. And that's what's on our mind. And God knows this, which is why God has revealed himself to be nothing but trustworthy and faithful. There's an author I'm a big fan of by the name of A.W. Tozer. He wrote a book called Knowledge of the Holy. And he says, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to mind when you think about God, that's the most important thing about you. And my prayer for all of us this weekend is that as we walk through this, that one of the things that comes to mind when we think about God is that he can't be anything but faithful and anything but true. Amen? See, our problem in kind of our fallen human nature, we, we can't comprehend God. He's too big for us, right? And we have a hard time dealing with things that we can't comprehend. We have a hard time uh, being comfortable around stuff we don't understand. And so what we do is, is we take the things we've heard about God and might know about God, and we, we sort of create this box. And we put God in a box. And we like God in a box because we can control that God. We can be comfortable with that God. That God does what we want him or her or it to do. But the problem is life happens and all of a sudden that box gets shattered. And what are we left with? For some, it's a shipwrecked faith, which happened to my folks. For others, it's just the reality that this God I'm believing in actually has no power to save me or help me. So why do I even still believe? Or we just realize I've been doing this all in my own strength. And so I want to talk to us about things that not just ideas I have about God, but things that God has revealed about himself in scripture. They're called attributes, things that are true about God. Because even though we can't comprehend God, the beautiful thing is we can know God. And he's worked really hard and gone way out of his way to help us know him more. And that's why this scripture is so important. That's why there's things in here that we're gonna dig dig into. And so this first one, number one, is that God is unchanging. God is unchanging. Now, it sounds boring because for us, like, if if nothing ever changes, then life just is not very fun. But it's not boring when you're perfect. When you're absolutely perfect, you can't change. It's not even a, a possibility, right? We change in one of two directions. We either change for the better or change for the worse. Hopefully, we're changing for the better, but how many know there is no neutral ground, okay? You're either moving forward or you're sliding backwards. With God, he can't go either way. He is unchanging. He's already perfect. And and, and kind of three aspects of this to look at. The first one is that he's unchanging in his person. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. 
James chapter one, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. As people, we can't help but change, but not God. He's absolute perfection. He cannot be improved on. He cannot be diminished. He's unchanging in his person. He's also unchanging in his purposes. In Isaiah 14, 24, he says, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. So what he has purposed, it's never going to change. He always purposed to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt and get them through the wilderness. Now, it took 40 years because they had a little bit of hard time believing he was faithful and trusting him, right? But he always purposed to get them out of there. His purpose for the church, it's always going to be to advance the kingdom of God here on the planet Earth. The purpose of the church is always going to be to conquer evil by doing good. The gates of hell cannot stand up to us. The problem is so many churches have forgot this. We have forgotten that we are the only organization that exists for its non-members. The moment we as a church begin to think that church is for us, I got to find my seat, my AC, my this, my that, that's when we lose our power as a church because we're no longer living in the purpose of God for the local church, amen? Jesus gives Peter the keys and, and, and the first time he even mentions church, he says, look, the purpose of the church, the gates of hell cannot prevail. You can unlock things in the spirit realm. You can do things. It's the local church. This is my bride. The purpose of the church is always going to be to change the world. That's why I love you guys so much. That's why this partnership is working out so well, because we understand that outreach is the heartbeat of church. We don't just exist to put on great services. That's a part of it to help us stay inspired and, and, and continue to build our faith. But the biggest part of it is to say, okay, now how can we go out here and love a broken and fallen world? That's the purpose of the church, and it's unchanging. That purpose is never going to change. Uh, Tozer says this in, this in the same book. He says, all that God is, he has always been. And all that he has been and is, he will ever be. Nothing that God has ever said about himself will be modified. Nothing the inspired prophets and apostles have said about him will be rescinded. His immutability guarantees this. Immutability is just a, a bigger, fancier word for unchanging. I'm Kalaheo, so I use unchanging, not immutability. But you can go whichever way you want on that. Um, but I know some people say, well, hey, isn't the God of the Old Testament a little different than the God of the New Testament? Anybody ever wonder that? or be, Have you ever been asked that before? And I love, you know, the book of Hebrews is a great solution to that dilemma right here. And in, in, in chapter 13, it's written to people who kind of grew up, the book of Hebrews, to the Hebrews, right? And so they grew up with the Old Testament. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. See, God never changes from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but what does change is the way that he relates to his people. Because in the Old Testament, you have what's called the Old Covenant or the law. And everything was about trying to earn your way to fulfilling the law. So you had to follow rules. You had to offer blood sacrifices. You had to do all that stuff. Everything was from the outside in. In the New Covenant, Jesus handles all that for us. Amen. So now all of a sudden there's grace and it's transformation from the inside out. We can relate to God in a completely different manner now because of what Christ has done for us. In the old covenant, everything again, you were conformed outside in. Let me change my behavior patterns to try to do all I can to, 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 to please this God, to earn this God's love, to do all this. Am I clean? Am I not clean? Who knows? 
the New Testament, the New Covenant, you're transformed by the grace that's been released when we place our faith in what Jesus Christ has already done. So God never changed, but thank God the way that he relates to us has changed, okay? Same God, we just relate a little differently now. The third way he's unchanging is in his promises, and this is what I love. Numbers 23, 19, he says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Now, I know there's times where people say, well, wait, doesn't God change his mind? Like, he tells Jonah he's going to destroy Nineveh after 40 days, and Jonah goes. It takes him a while to get there, but he finally gets there, and he, he tells him the message. But after 40 days, Nineveh's still alive. Nineveh's still there. What happened there? Doesn't he barter with Abraham about destroying Sodom? And Abraham's like, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. What if there's 50 righteous people here? Okay, I'll let them live. What if there's 45? I'll let them live. What if there's 10? You know, he, he, Abraham gets them all the way down to 10. I'm wondering why Abraham didn't get them down to two, but that's a different story for a different day. But you see God, quote, unquote, maybe changing his mind here. Or literally in 1 Samuel 15, God says this, I regret making Saul king. I regret making Saul king. Now, how many of you here have young children? Anybody? Any parents, young children? Yeah, you guys already saw mine. Super cute, super sinful, okay? <laughs> just putting it out there, all right? All right? I'm in it just like you are, okay? So what happens when you catch your young one doing something that's an obvious no-no? For my boys, it's stealing treats. They know that they are not allowed to have a treat unless mommy or daddy says yes and gives it to them. But how often do I see them scurrying in and out of the kitchen? Not slick. They think they're ninjas, but they're not. <laughs> hey, oh, what are you doing? Nothing. What's in your mouth? Nothing. You know, and quickly trying to find a way to dissolve it and swallow it and, you know, just caught red-handed asking a question, why is there chocolate around your mouth? I mean, I'm doing everything I can. Do I know they have something in their mouth? Yes, but I'm still asking questions for their benefit because it's so much better. They can come to a much more godly conclusion when they actually fess up to it, right? Healing is so much smoother when you can actually bring the sin to light that you're dealing with rather than somebody else having to call you out on it. It's just grace is so much more there when we can actually own up to what we do. And it's the same thing we see with God here. He's trying to help us actually come to a godly, a godly conclusion. So with, with Abraham, we see that Abraham is affirmed in his step towards compassion and faith. With Jonah, you know, we kind of get God's heart for lost people. Jonah actually never gets it, but we get it through the story. And then with Israel, they all get to learn from Saul's character flaws that character actually matters a whole lot. Character is a pretty big deal. If you don't have character, you're not going to be put in a position of honor and influence. And so people say, well, does God have emotions or is he just some kind of robot in the sky? In harmony with this person, God has genuine emotions that are analogous to our human emotions, but the difference is his emotions aren't subject to imperfection, okay? He actually has perfect emotions and he perfectly responds to every situation, in other words, he doesn't ever just need a good cry. All right? See some husbands chuckling. I'm treading on some, some, some dangerous water here, okay? I remember the first time I was dating Sarah, and, and, and she just needed a good cry. 
I'm being all Casanova-like, you know, I'm just, I'm the man. I'm just winning her heart. And she just starts bawling. And I'm like, what in the world did I do? I didn't think it. And I'm worried about it. Well, the next time it happens, I'm like, I know I didn't do anything this time. Something's wrong with this girl. Now I know I just got to ride it out, right? Because I just know that, that I've learned that ladies just sometimes just need a good cry. And there's no science behind it because there's no science behind it. But I just know I just need to, to, to ride this out, to sit there and, and just be affirming and give a little sound effect, appropriate sound effect every once in a while, like, hmm. Oh, if I try to say anything, it gets worse. Don't fix it. Just ride with it, okay? And I work really hard not to drift off to football or surfing or words like immutability. I just jacked it up already just to ride this thing out. I'm in a lot of trouble now, so uh, if you see me next week and I'm super skinny, it's not because I'm fasting. It's because my wife is fasting from feeding me, um, and uh, I'm in trouble, but no. So God is right here with us emotionally. He's not just stoic. He's not just some robot. He's dynamic. He's the only one who's both infinite and intimate. He has infinite power, infinite knowledge, infinite everything, yet he is so intimate that in our greatest time of need, he is right here with us. When you're wondering, when you're doubting, when you're hurting, the spirit of God, the comforter, is right there with you. He is infinite, yet he's also perfectly intimate. Moving into my next attribute here. God is faithful and true. In fact, this is actually his name in Revelations 19.11. It says, here comes the, the rider on the white horse. His name is faithful and true. Theologically, this is referred to as the veracity of God, that God is truth, and therefore all he says is true. When I first went to church as a, as a senior in high school, again, I wasn't there for the right reasons, but one thing stuck with me. And the pastor, again, I wouldn't call it a healthy church, like they had just suffered a church split for very unhealthy reasons. Um, but he, he, he shared John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And that stuck with me because I was always taught otherwise. I was taught all roads lead to heaven. You just got to be a nice person. Uh, Jesus is just another good teacher. That's what I was taught growing up. And all of a sudden, I just kind of hear, you know, the letters in red, a quote from Jesus that he is the truth. And therefore, everything he says is true. In Psalm 119, 160, he says, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Everything God says, it's not just truth. He is truth himself. In Romans 3, 3 and 4, I love how Paul writes this. He says, true, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. God is true. He sees things for how they really are, how they truly are. We've got to trust him here. And I want to camp here for just a couple minutes because for a lot of us, I really want you to catch this. One of the fastest ways to transformation in your life, one of the fastest ways to really being on track to seeing these promises fulfilled we have to go from believing God is real to believing God is right. So many of us live believing God is real, but so few of us are willing to actually believe that he is right, particularly in these areas where our emotions and our reality may not right now line up with what God says. We've kind of, you know, church history, they've sort of 
identified seven sins. I call them the seven deadly sins. Pride, greed, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth. And if we're honest, all of us struggle with at least one of these things. I'll admit there's a lot more than one for me. All of us struggle in areas where our life doesn't perfectly line up with what's in here, right? And anyone who says they doesn't, says they don't, um, let's go ahead and take them out back and stone them because they're a liar and liars go to hell. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, okay? There's grace, there's grace. No, but every time we choose to align ourselves and call whatever we're struggling with right over what God says is right, we set ourselves up for massive failure. We set ourselves up for missing out on the experience of God. Again, Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. I always want to think that God is right with whatever he said because he is true. He is truth. So an example is one of these dictators. You're right. Paul said that whatever you worship, whatever you do, that's who you're enslaved to. So one of these dictators is greed. All right. Greed. We always have this and it, it kind of masks itself almost as a good thing. Um, because you can say, well, more is better, right? It's better to have more. I can give more away. But the problem is enough is never enough. You can never have enough. And when, when greed is seated on the throne of your heart, then you can never be content with what God gives you. And so the way to remove this dictator of greed, God says, tithe. Now that makes no sense to me, all right? We sold our house in North Carolina. We're trying to buy a house here. We got a big hill to climb, right? We, we actually made some good money. Praise God, it sold. Other houses didn't sell. Our house sold. Thank God for that. That was great. First thing I did, 10%, boom, going to the Lord. People said, what are you doing? Like, you need all that money. Yeah, it makes no sense to me that I can actually have more by giving away 10% of what I earn, except that God says that's right. Except that God says, trust me in this. Test me in this. So that's what we're doing. As a church, we tithe. As a church plant, before we planted our church, we gave away money to other church plants. Listen, what are you doing? As a church, we're going to tithe. I don't believe it's just a personal issue. We're going to tithe. We're going to give to outreach. We're going to give to missions. We're going to give to church planning. We're always going to do that. Why? Because we want to honor God with everything we have and everything we get. And I want to get a, a, just a reputation in the community of being generous because you can never outgive God. But I'll tell you what, that's the only way that my wife and I have found to get greed off the throne of our heart and to put God right there. That's why I'm not worried about finances. Another one, growing up unchurched, growing up just in the ways of the world, I was not doing holy things with my girlfriend. And I found that out when I read scripture after I got saved and realized, whoa, I'm not doing holy things with my girlfriend. Like this actually, I was, I was, there's a major conflict because my whole life I was told this is okay. Society says it's okay. Every TV show says it's okay, right? Every movie we watch says it's okay. My teen health class in seventh grade and in high school said, this is okay, just use this. Just be careful. Everyone said it was okay, except God. So I was faced with a dilemma. And I was thinking I was going to marry this girl. So I said, okay, do I choose what my body feels like is right and what everyone else tells me is right, or am I going to live as if God is right? These are not easy questions to answer. You follow me? That's why so many people live in the comfort of God is real but never actually step into the God is right. And I had to have a tough conversation. 
And literally from that point on, I lived with some very, very kind of strict boundaries to protect myself from doing what my body felt was right. I played quarterback, college, professional. There's a lot of temptation out there. So I knew I couldn't just show up in the middle of it and invite that fire in my lap or else I'd be dishonoring God like that. Does that make sense? And that walk was not walked perfectly, but by the grace of God, I mean, from, from that point when we made that decision, years and years later, I get married. The first time my lips touched my wife's were on our wedding day when the pastor said, you may now kiss your bride. Not because that's biblical, but because I knew that was the, that was the line I had to take to make sure I could know that God was right. You know what I'm saying? Because... I didn't feel like that was right. My, the biology of my body didn't necessarily agree with what God says, but I tell you what, when you choose to believe what God says is right, that's when the transformation takes place. And that's when God begins to use. I mean, I became the spokesperson for abstinence on accident in Hawaii when I was in college. Like Stephen Sai, the, the University of Hawaii football beat writer, God bless him. I was not happy with him because he just put my business all out there in the front page of the sports section while I was in college. And I had, col- I had professors thinking I was crazy. I was, I was called gay. I was called everything you can imagine because I wasn't running around doing things everybody else was doing. And I said, well, it's because I believe that you know, God has called me to, to, to sleep with only my wife and I'm not married right now. So when that time comes, I'll jump into that. And whoa, you're doing abstinence? And I guess nobody had ever publicly made that stance. And so he publicly made me make that stance. And I traveled all over the islands teaching abstinence education in our public schools. And then I went on to, to Fayetteville and every other place I went to and I became like, every Valentine's Day, man, it was like I made the youth group tour because <laughs> young people just don't have that example. But what I found was that when we live as if God is right, it doesn't just benefit us. It benefits so many more around us. But it does take that courage to say, you know what, God, I do believe you're true. I do believe that you're unchangeable. I do believe that you are faithful. Because for us, we want everything right now. But God says, will you just trust me? Will you just let me do what I need to do? Will you just let me have my way in your life? In 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, I'm going to kind of bring this ship to a close here. He says, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And if we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There's nothing more comforting than knowing that I'm not responsible to make God's promises happen. I'm not responsible to carry out the dreams that God has put in my heart for Man of Church. You're not responsible to carry out the promises God has spoken to you for your family, for your future, for your church over these past 21 days. You're not responsible for that. Even when you fail, he cannot help but remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. This is a truth we can stand on. This is why I say everything about God rests upon his faithfulness and everything about us rests upon whether or not we trust him to be faithful and true. I want you bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much that you can be trusted. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for just this amazing group of people that's in front of me this weekend, that's under the sound of my voice. Lord, what a privilege this is. God, I know there are so many dreams, so many destinies, so many phenomenal ministries, so many church plants. There are so many things right now under the sound of my voice. 
And God, I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, you would come and bring comfort, that you would relieve stress, that you would relieve anxiety, that you would replace it with truth. Lord, that you would reveal yourself as true, as unchanging, as faithful. Help us to release these burdens and give them back to you. And God, I speak your blessing and your favor to walk these out. If you could keep your heads bowed one more moment, one more prayer. Anytime I'm in a, a room this size, I, you know, I'm sure there's somebody like me growing up where maybe a friend dragged you here or maybe you just, just, just God is doing something in your heart right now. And so I can never speak a message and not give an opportunity for somebody to, to really make a personal connection with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you've never made Christ your Lord and Savior. That's just fancy words for simply saying, Jesus, I'm going to trust you rather than myself for my salvation. See, I grew up thinking I was the one that was responsible for my salvation. I just had to do enough good deeds. Then I found out that actually Jesus has already done it. And my best deeds are like filthy rags to him. And he offers this free gift once I put my faith in him. See, the Bible says that once any of us sin, which we all do because we're born into it, there's this divide, there's this gap between us and God that, that no human can really cross. And that's why Jesus came in the first place, to really bridge that gap for us. And that's why he said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And so I just want to give an opportunity right here tonight, if that's you, you're saying tonight is the night I need to commit my life to Christ. Or maybe you're here, you say, look, I've run and I'm back here tonight and tonight's the night. If that's you, I want to pray for you. And all our hands are bowed, they're closed. This is a private moment, but I want to know who I'm praying for. So if that's you in this room, on the count of three, if you could just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. One, two, three. Yeah, all over the room. Keep them up high, keep them up high. All over the room. Excellent. What we're going to do is take that hand and just put it over your heart. Put it over your heart. Because I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you just to kind of silently follow along. And we're going to invite Jesus Christ to become the king of your heart, the Lord of your heart. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I invite you into my heart. You alone are my hope, my salvation. I can't change myself. So I thank you for going to the cross to pay for my sin so I can be changed. Jesus, help me follow you every day of my life and fulfill every promise you have for me. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Can we give a hand to those who raised their hand? It's a huge decision.